Welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. We talk to extraordinary people that you've heard of and extraordinary people that you haven't. We pick their brains about how they get stuff done. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. Picture this, you're 24 years old, fit, healthy and living your best life. You've traveled all over the world, you play representative sport, and you've just scored a promotion in your dream job. All of a sudden, you suffer a massive brain hemorrhage that changes your life forever. That's exactly what happened to this week's guest, Lisa Cox. She spent three weeks in a coma, months on life support, and a full year in hospital. She lost a leg, most of her toes, most of her fingers, 25% of her sight, and a fair portion of her long and short-term memories. She's now a writer, changemaker, model, and disability activist, and she has very generously chatted to me about how she gets shit done. This interview is easily one of my favorites from the season. Lisa is so positive and funny, and although you can't see her face while listening to the podcast, please be assured that she is so incredibly warm and generous when she speaks. Her optimism is contagious, and chatting to her was a serious mood booster. We talk about how you can overcome major trauma, making the choice to show up every day and the utmost importance of honoring and taking care of your body. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure. I grew up in sunny Brisbane, sunny Brisbane in Australia, Queensland for outside listeners. And childhood was, you know what, it was great. It was it was fairly modest, mainstream, run-of-the-mill, um, little kid in the suburbs, and I have a younger brother and sister, so I was the eldest, and obviously still am. <laughs> and um, yeah, we had a, a great time running around the backyard, going camping and fishing, and doing doing all those sorts of things that a lot of a lot of little kids over here in Australia do. So you had a very active childhood. Pretty much I was I was into athletics and sport and boring my parents, having to, them to drive me here, there and everywhere on weekends to sport. And, but yes, I was definitely rarely sitting down and, and quite, quite active. So you're 24, mm-hmm. you've been to university and graduated with two degrees, yeah. you play representative sport, you've travelled overseas, you've moved into your own place and after years of working in the corporate sector, you've just been promoted in your dream job at an advertising agency and then what happened? Uh, in, a, in a word, shit hit the fan. Sorry, don't know if I can swear but... No, go for it. At Melbourne Airport one morning, flying home to see my family. I'd moved to Melbourne for work and got, as you explained, my my dream job. And um, everything was going pretty well. But without any warning, I had a brain hemorrhage or a stroke. So I spent the next three weeks in a coma, two months on life support, and over a year in hospital after that. So obviously I lost... Lost my job, so to speak, but I also lost my left leg, all of my right toes, and nine of my fingertips that were amputated. Um, they're all the disabilities that you can see, so I'm in a wheelchair now, I have a prosthetic leg, but there are also lots of invisible disabilities that you can't see, even though they're far more challenging 
on my life than a, than a wheelchair or prosthetic leg. So I'm over 25% blind. My speech has its good days and bad days, so hopefully I don't, I don't sound too mumbly this morning. But um, my memory is cactus, so I forget what I've already, <laughs> already told you. But, um, yeah, there's, I think I've mentioned epilepsy and, and vision impairment, but my coordination is, has its good days and bad days. So with your memory, when you say that, you know, your, your memory is shot, is it memory since you had the stroke or like you can't remember from before? A bit of, a bit of both. So I, I have amnesia from several months before and after the actual brain hemorrhage. So I don't remember really well where I was living or working, even the guys I was dating, which is probably a good thing. Don't remember them. Um, in the months before the stroke and a few months after the stroke I have no recollection of not just because I was in the coma but even after I'd come out of that it was um, maybe maybe four months I'd guess before I started retaining memories and, and things like that but these days um, my memory is just a bit a bit questionable from time to time I tell my husband I have selective memory and I'm very fortunate that I can remember my childhood. Um, I still have memories of, of Nana and stupid stuff I did when I was a kid and, and those sorts of things. Um, I'm very grateful to have those memories, but I'll forget the conversation that I had with my husband 20 minutes earlier or, or something like that. So it's a bit hit and miss. Uh, with Sorry, I'm, I'm interested in the guy that you were dating that you don't remember. Did you... Did your friends be like, hey, do you remember this jerk you were dating? Because he wasn't very nice. <laughs> He's not worth mentioning, to be completely honest. So the backstory is, and I, I laugh at it. It's, it's not a sad story. I just think it's hilarious. So we, there were guys I was dating, but then there was also this guy that I'd been in a long-term relationship with. And just for anonymity, let's call him Bob. So I came out of my coma and I'm like, oh, Bob's here at my hospital bed. Awesome. So we're, we're still together. And um, it was only a couple of weeks later my sister said to me, that was when you and Bob broke up. I'm like, what do you mean Bob and I broke up? What? <laughs> Turns out that, that we'd broken up and I'd obviously completely forgotten we'd been together for years. But completely forgot that along with her along with a few other things but I just think it's hilarious because <laughs> he was a bit toxic just quietly so <laughs> he's he's not the guy that I'm married to now that's amazing I just yeah thank you so much for clarifying that story I was just wondering if one of your best mates was like yeah nah mate you broke up with him so thank you so much no that was that was my my dear sister who who told me but there had been had been other guys I'd been dating who who got back in touch and then found out that everything had happened and never heard from them again. So, oh my gosh, years ago though. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so you were saying that just out of nowhere you had um, a, a stroke or a brain hemorrhage. Are they they're essentially the same thing? Yeah, I'm I'm sure someone with a, a medical background is probably listening going, no, they're different. <laughs> <laughs> my, my non-medical opinion is much of the same thing. I had a brain bleed. So it was streptococcus A, strep A, that, that caused the brain hemorrhage. And then everything sort of snowballed from there and um, all of my organs collapsed. And so I was kept alive by machines for two months and my 
kidneys were in that corner of the room and my heart was over there and yeah, so I your your heart was outside of your body. Sorry, sorry the machine. Oh. <laughs> spreading my heart for around yeah no I fundamentally misunderstood that I was thinking wow you had some serious cyber stuff happening there I'm like wow like for two months uh so uh, you said that just out of no it happened completely out of nowhere and you have no idea what caused it well strep, strep A is what caused it and that's the sort of thing that, from, from what I'm told, you can maybe pick up at the, the supermarket or something like the flu. But it got to my body, and we don't know we don't know the how of it. It might have been at a shopping centre or a, um, you know, a wine festival or something like that. And it had a bit of a party because my immune system was obviously not great. So if it had perhaps been your system, your immune system would have told it to fuck off. But mine, it just caused a brain hemorrhage so yeah that was that's unbelievable do you do you think that if you did know exactly where you got it from that might change things for you like the, the way you think about it um in in some ways yes in some like probably probably not and I only say that because there's a lot of things that I can I can reflect on and go if only if only if only but I really try not to have that mindset about what's happened, including that guy I dated. If only I hadn't. <laughs> but as a general rule, I I tend not to sit around and wallow about the what ifs, and that goes that goes to everything. A, a bad client project that just was a clusterfuck. I think well, what's happened has happened, and no amount of wallowing in self-pity and thinking oh what if what if and it was caused by this like I know the really intimate details of what happened and why but they are what they are yeah definitely and I think if you did know exactly where you caught it that could give you a focus for ruminating on it more than you would and perhaps like give a little bit of bit more fear for you as well because even though what happened to you is so rare and so random that kind of stuff would kind of I guess, permeate into your life a bit and make you scared of theoretically wine festivals and supermarkets, which were some theories. Absolutely has in some ways. So in the words of one of my specialists, it was bloody bad luck to quote him. And one of my, my after effects, I suppose, is PTSD and health anxiety. So health anxiety during COVID for me, with a lot of therapy and some and some really great professionals <laughs> I got over that because there was was time um, several years ago where I was at the GP every week going I need a blood test I've got I've got this or that and I joke with my personal trainer that if we do a lot of uh, stomach work or um, arm work one day that I'm going to wake up the next morning and convince myself I have pancreatic cancer and I, I don't mean to make light of that but that's just the way it was for me for a few years something would hurt I do too many arm weights and my, my chest would hurt, so I, I must have breast cancer. And I got really, really anxious about having a bit of everything. That's yeah. much better than it used to be. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so h- how do you recover from something like this? And do you have a, a grieving period or is it more of a grieving process where you mourn the life that you might have had and, you know, is, is that still ongoing for you? Yes. Yes, no, I definitely, definitely had a grieving period in hospital. I was 
an absolute mess for a long, long time. I don't want to Pollyanna the situation, even though I was grateful to be there and grateful to be alive and have my arms when, you know, only losing fingertips when I could have lost arms, etc. There was some really, really horrible times that, that were like a grieving process. Um, losing my leg, for example, having that amputated, I was, yeah, devastated. So there was there was a period of time where I was grieving the life that, that could have been perhaps. But going back to um, the conversation we had before, I really tried hard not to have that if only what if it could have it could have been this or that and and those sorts of things. I mean my husband and I joke about the fact that if I had lived the life I was planning in voted commas then we never would have met. So as far as I'm concerned, it's it's a strange way to think about it, but it's I met him because of all the shit that happened. So how how did you meet him? I met him online. So all of my ways to to meet everybody had, had gone away through work because I was working for myself from home. Um, I went to the gym and the, the few guys I met at the gym were just not right for me. Um, bars and clubs I was, I was no longer a big fan of. So it was only the early days with online dating. So I know there were not apps around yet, but it was still – there was a bit of a taboo around it, so we didn't tell my grandmother at the time. <laughs> there was, yeah, still still a little bit of a taboo, but we met online. Lovely. Um, so what does your life look like now as opposed to, I mean, I know that this happened so long ago, but how is your life different now? In so many ways it's different but in in other ways I'm still the same person with the same values and morals and that's I suppose what some people don't understand is that physically I'm, I'm completely different I have one leg and I'm in a wheelchair and <laughs> things like that but and this goes for a lot of people who acquire disabilities they're still still the same person um at the end of the day so I'm now working for myself predominantly. I couldn't return to advertising. I did try. I love the media industry and the advertising industry and still wanted to be involved in that. But I'd spent so much time creating visibility for my clients, their brands, their messages and products that I realised I could essentially apply the same skills to disability. So now I, I work largely as a disability advocate trying to increase the representation or improve the representation of disability in mainstream popular culture from media to fashion to entertainment, all those sorts of things because, as you'd appreciate, um, it's such a powerful tool to change social attitudes and public perceptions. Absolutely. Do you Did you find that your attitude towards that has changed quite a bit now that you are a person with disability? Was it ever something that you thought about before this happened? I can't say it's something I've thought a lot about. And I mean, I, I went to school with kids who were disabled. I grew up with a diverse network of friends. And when I say diverse, I don't just mean disability, but colours and sizes and everything. And at that, at that age, without without uni and everything, I didn't have that, never, never thought twice about it, to be completely honest, and never questioned why 
the television screen didn't reflect my own social social networks and what I saw when I went to the shopping centre or something like that. And without that that lens to look at it through, without the disability lens, I suppose, it's something I was aware of but didn't didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing a whole lot about because who who was I to speak on behalf of disabled people? I didn't have a disability myself. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that when I had uh, my kid in a stroller, it really became apparent to me how terribly suited the world is to wheels. It's just, it's shocking. And I really felt quite dreadful that it wasn't something that had ever concerned me until I had to go everywhere with a stroller. And then I got really passionate about it. And I'm just thinking we need better accessibility. So yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to, to, to play on the, to talk about how you don't really think about those things until they directly start affecting you. Um, On that note, though, is there anything that you wish people in the able-bodied community would say or do or not say and do? (laughs) It's more more than not say. Um, Speak to me the same way you would would speak to Carly. Um, Appreciate that I have other interests outside of wheelchairs and the NDIS. So for those of you who aren't from Australia, the NDIS is a government-funded um, assistance with disability support and those sorts of things, but I'm still somebody with a, a wide range of interests and I, I work with journalists a bit and try to explain to them that if you if you want comments on climate change, politics, fashion, something like that, ask a disabled person as well because we're 20% of the population. I probably wouldn't be on my soapbox as often as if it was just me and one or two others in the country, but 20% of the population is is massive, and I often think that growing up, I was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid with white skin running around, and you know, felt out of place every now and again, like every every young kid. And I cannot, for a moment, imagine how BS that would have been for someone with a disability or some other sort of diversity that it made them look different because. At least when I turned on the TV or opened a magazine or looked at a billboard in politics and and all sorts of places, business, sport, I had people to look up to. I had role models, but there there was and there is still so little of that for the disability community. Yeah, definitely. So so you're advocating more for... Uh, people with disability to be included in conversations not about disability which sounds so obvious when you say it but that's that's the point yeah a a bit of both so of course um if if you do want to have a conversation about wheelchairs I would probably know more about it than you for example (laughs) but if if we are looking at issues that aren't aren't necessarily about um about disability there's no reason why if we're talking about climate change, I don't have an opinion as well. Absolutely. Speaking of that, what are your interests? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a nerd. So, once a writer, always a writer. Even though I lost all the tools of my trade, my nine of my fingertips, my eyesight, my brain function. Um, I, I still wanted to write it again, and that, that was a really slow process coming out of hospital and teaching myself how to type. So 
I love sitting down and fluffing about in a, in a Word document. My husband doesn't get it, but he'll spend an hour fluffing around in the kitchen, and I think he's a bit nuts. So cooking is definitely not my thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to spend spend some time spend some time running, seeing seeing friends, and just at the moment nobody can do anything. So when COVID's not happening, and I'm not sitting <laughs> sitting in the house. Catching, catching up with friends, just going for a drive with my husband to visit family, those sorts of things. We're about to become parents to a little puppy. So I've no doubt that I'll, I'll spend lots of time just <laughs> procrastinating with him. What kind of puppy are you getting? A moodle. And I, I wasn't a dog person before last month. But um, it's crossed between a Maltese Shih Tzu and a Poodle, apparently, because the Poodle's the smart part and it needs to be trained to help with me with as a therapy dog and, and those sorts of things. So it needs some – it can't be a stupid dog, I'm, I'm told. <laughs> I fully approve of dogs that look like teddy bears, so <laughs> well, well done. does. It's pretty damn cute. What are you going to call it? Lewis. Oh, love it. Louis, after Louis Armstrong, because that was the the guy who sang "What a Wonderful World, Wonderful World," and that was the the song at our wedding, our, our first dance, and everything like that. So, and it's the the view that both of us take on the world that you know shit happens, but there's still so many little things to be grateful for and to appreciate if you just open your eyes and realize that you know what the clouds look pretty cool today or the flowers are out are out or really small and insignificant things but that's the view we we both try to take day to day when when shit's happening oh that's such a lovely sentiment thanks for sharing that in the middle of these trying times (laughs) um so you Talking about your writing, you have written two books. One is called Does My Bum Look Big in This Ad and Media Muscle. And both of those touch on resilience and the importance of body image and representation in the media. Can you tell us more about the work that you do with disability inclusion and maybe talk about some of the struggles that you have in making this be more of a thing? The biggest obstacle with regard to representation or inclusion, and this is generally across the board is that there's there's still a, a lack of understanding about the role or sorry the importance rather from a business perspective as well as from a, a social social responsibility so that's um I suppose something I've been I've been trying to advocate for is that you think of disability inclusion and think oh let's do something nice for the poor disabled people and just, just put something in there and just throw them a bone. Like, no, guys, it's really bloody smart business. 20% of the community with credit cards look at this as a business opportunity. Obviously, it's morally, socially, ethically the right thing to do, but I've spent enough time in boardrooms with enough balding men in suits to know that for some people, at the end of the day, all they give a shit about is the bottom line. And if that's how we can get them across the line, then and so be it. Fantastic. And you're actually a model yourself. Uh, yes, I, I say yes. I didn't, I didn't spend four years at uni to do that. But, um, I, do, I do dabble in it a little bit and 
I'd love to see more people with visible disabilities out there as well in in agencies and and things like that. But yes, I have done. What what brands have you modelled for? Uh, do you know J- Jockey? Yeah. So Jockey are an awesome brand that I I love talking about, not just because they asked me to be a part of a campaign, but because they do inclusion and diversity so well. It's not just one disabled model for a year. That's not what our society looks like. You don't go out to the shopping centre and see one disabled person every year. Um, They do it consistently. So every every several posts there will be somebody with, with a visible disability. And I say visible because obviously invisible disability is such a big part of it. But um, in the same way, when you go to use an accessible bathroom or a car park, there's not 20 logos or, or symbols there. There's just one. It's a universal sign to understand that it's representative of, of everybody with disabilities. And that's why I do, I do say visual, visual representation and visual disabilities. So let's talk about motivation and productivity. That's the that's the kind of the point of the podcast. Uh, so you were a very active and driven person before you became ill. Has that changed for you now? Because I get the sense that you're even more motivated than you were before. Yeah, I suppose I've, I've always been a little bit stubborn. My father will agree with that. But um, um, I suppose I'm motivated in a different in a different way. Previously, I was motivated. Um, to get more awards, to uh, graduate mini when I was a student. So I suppose I was striving for different things. I was motivated to strive strive for different things. But these days, and it was more about me as well, striving for what would help me. But these days I'm motivated by knowing that what I'm doing is helping so many more people. So that's how that would have changed. But, yes, I was always active these days still trying to be obviously not can't go for a run in the streets anymore I I probably miss that a lot I don't miss a lot of things about my able-bodied life but that's one thing I do I do miss because for me exercise is such a great way to to shake off anxieties and stresses and, and things like that so do you have routines, habits or rituals that are essential to your productivity? Definitely. So I've always loved a bit of a routine, but now it's not only important for my life just from a sort of get things done perspective, but with an acquired brain injury, which is which is what I've got from the stroke, routine is really, really a good way for me to deal with it. If I get up every morning and know that I have to do this or don't have to do that then it's just a much easier way for me to get through the day and manage my time and my hours and my energy um chronic fatigue is another 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 side effect I suppose of my brain injury and that means that in the afternoons and evenings I just I'm useless <laughs> my husband's come home and tried to have a conversation with me about finances or something and I'm like no, talk to me tomorrow please I'm a bit of a write-off but, um, yeah, motivation is something that I love talking with, with audiences about because it's, it's obviously had to be, was always and has had to be such a, a big part of my life today. 
So when you are having a bad morning or you've got low energy or you're chronic fatigue, I'm sorry, I'm making a big assumption here. Your energy levels are are different kind of up. So the mornings are, are generally pretty good for me. But the afternoons and evenings, it's, um, yeah, not not good at all. So that's why I'm really glad we're talking in the morning <laughs> at 6 o'clock this evening. You'd probably think I'd be in because I my words and it's and I'm, I'm not thinking as quickly. Yeah. Um, so when, when you do have those kind of like low energy days and you know that you're going to feel better if you do a, a bit of a workout or you do something like that, how do you motivate yourself to get up and do it? Do you ever just kind of go, no, nah, I, I don't have to do this? Yeah. So I'll, depending on how I'm feeling, I'll, I'll take two approaches on the days that say my chronic pain or something I've got issues with chronic pain, if it's really bad, I'll be a bit easy on myself and just go, today's one of those days, don't don't be too hard on yourself, just it is what it is and I might have to lie down for an hour or something, but that does happen. But there are other days when things things will be a bit a bit uncomfortable or whatnot and I just have suck it up and get myself to the gym drag my ass there even though it's probably not what I feel like doing at the time but that's always been my way to to get past the motivation thing um I I can't just sit in the lounge room and go wait for motivation to to come upon me like a bright light I just drag my ass and do what has to be done um and then I, I feel so much better at the end so do you have any funny stories about your prosthetic leg or any fantastic wheelchair stories that you can share? Yeah, so a prosthetic leg in the gym has been an interesting experience because it's fallen off more than once. <laughs> so the, the people who own my current gym, they're aware of it and they know if I get their attention and ask them to come over, they'll come over and like, my leg's falling off. But it has happened once or twice where it's just, gone flying and there was someone in there fixing lights or something an outside contractor and I'm like excuse mate can you just go over and pick my leg up (laughs) the poor guy it's not what he expected but yeah prosthetics do have a do have a habit of of coming off especially the way I use them oh how do you use them because you do you wait there on your I do wait there but only to transfer so I can walk or, or stand unless I'm holding on to something. So the only times I've I've really walked anywhere on my wedding day, mum and dad held one. Oh, I saw those photos. <laughs> Waltz me down the aisle, but yeah, there's there's very little walking. But I do stand to transfer whether it's whether it's getting into the car or climbing onto a piece of gym equipment or something like that. Do you drive? No, I can't drive, but that's only because of my eyesight. So. Ah. Physically, there's plenty of people who can operate a car, and I, I certainly could as well. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust me behind the wheel. I just can't see where I'm going. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair enough. Uh, can you tell us what TV show you have been watching recently that you love? <gasps> right, this is, you get to agree or cringe and tell me that's stupid. I love The Bachelorette and The Bachelor and maths and reality TV. I'm, I'm a bit addicted to that. I, yeah. 
<laughs> I huge argument with my trainer the other day. He's like, that's that's terrible. It's, it's, it's not high enough or more. Like I spend so many hours every day doing talking about mental health and disability advocacy and social justice. I need to turn my brain off and not think about everything and have a laugh. And they're the perfect shows to do it. <laughs> I love reality TV, but my favorite is kind of like a Judge Judy situation more than a... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have heard that the current season, because I don't, I don't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but I have heard the current season's not as good as previous seasons, the one that has the two... Two ratings are down and mm. it's kind of a bit, I don't know. It's the same thing, and as usual, I get on my soapbox about the lack of diversity and everybody looks the same, and they're just... They're not particularly, particularly interesting. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they're not an ideality. There's no, and I suppose having spent so much time in in production and behind the scenes work for things, I'm like, okay, that was scripted, that was cut there, that was edited there, and I'm, um, yeah, it's it's okay. I signed <laughs> off for, for an hour or two, so I can't complain. Yeah, definitely. Can you also let me know what your staple weekday dinner is? I'm sure that that's your husband's domain. He's the kitchen guy, yeah? He's the kitchen guy, but I do I do prepare meals where I can. So I'm a bit boring in the evenings. It'll be like steamed vegetables and some tuna or, or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's not boring. <laughs> Nothing exciting there. And one final question, if you have one piece of life advice to give to our listeners that will help improve their lives in some way, what would you say? Sure. Just for them to all remember that you are stronger than you think you are. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, women are like tea bags. You only know how strong they are when you put them in hot water. And I've probably murdered that quote, but anyway, something like that. And if you'd asked me 16 years ago, what do you think? You're going to have stroke, be in a wheelchair, one leg, can't drive, lose your job. What do you think? And I wouldn't have, either wouldn't have believed you or would have gone, that's the worst thing ever. My life is over. But turns out that I, I love my life now. And especially, especially around things like COVID, um, we're all a lot stronger than we think we are. It's, horrible what's happening at the moment absolute bs but we're going to get through this and we're going to look back and go you know what i I did it i don't know how but i did it it sucked but i did it so you're a lot stronger than you think you are And that was the wonderful Lisa Cox, writer and disability activist. Chatting to Lisa was a sparkle of glitter in a very low week for me. She's so warm and funny and generous in sharing her experiences with us. My favorite productivity tips from Lisa were not to dwell on the past, to get help when you need it, and also to make the conscious choice to look after and honor her body, no matter how it's feeling that day. And for her, sometimes that means hitting the gym. Sometimes it means taking it easy. And I think Lisa has given us all permission to be really focused in our pursuit of health and fitness, but to also be honest about it when we need to take breaks. 
Coming up next week on the show is Magician Cosentino. I saw him perform in Melbourne many, many years ago, and I've always been so fascinated by the discipline of magicians, and I thought he'd be an amazing guest. Spoiler alert, he is an amazing guest. Tune in next week to learn more about the epic motivation of magicians and how we can apply their special hocus pocus to our own lives. Thank you for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I actually really, really love hearing from listeners. So seriously, don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. This season's book club pick is Live What You Love by entrepreneur Naomi Simpson. And we have Naomi on the show later in the season to answer all your questions about the book. You can purchase the book at Naomi Simpson, S-I-M-S-O-N.com and use the code productivity10 for a 10% discount. You have until the end of November, 2020 to read the book and get your questions in. So get reading. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life. Thank you.